are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio. Only here, lastwordonsports.com. What's up, Internet? My name is Matt Pollard, and you are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio, only here at lastwordonsports.com. It is Friday, October 28th, 2022. We are brought to you by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves. We've got a very special playoff edition talking all things MLS Cup playoffs here. Joining me now, Harvey Cruz and Harvey, one of your cats as well. That's right, my cat. Uh, Luna is with us. Hopefully her purring doesn't sound over the, the waves here, but no matter. Um, I'm here. Thankfully, you guys talked about the Rebels' loss instead of my, me. Uh, not that I didn't want to be there for it, just the uh, other stuff happened. And the fact that these, these end-of-season uh, media Zoom calls are just full of nothing. Um, I was there for the one for the Rebels on Thursday. And not only did Gerhard Struber not appear there, but uh, Joachim Snyder, the head of sport, was there. And I said, and basically said a bunch of everything and a bunch of nothing all mixed in one. So um, that just leaves us with more questions possibly for the offseason. But that doesn't matter because they're out and we're here to talk about postseason and the teams that are actually in the postseason. All right. Um, the I guess the, the Rapids haven't had their post-end-of-year uh, media call. Normally what ends up happening for the Rapids, Harvey, is that Porrick Smith prefers to do everything one-on-one. And that usually starts in the first week of November, usually right before or right after they've announced their roster news and everything. And that has not happened yet. But no, I hear you, Harvey, that um, it's not a it's not a forum that is good at i think bringing information out or where you have an audience or people that are being questioned that are receptive to that and actually saying anything significant um it's a lot of pr talk and like you said a lot of words without saying a whole lot but one player who certainly probably said a lot between scoring his goal and running to the bench to hug Jim Curtin back on Thursday of last week, Harvey, was the Philadelphia Union's Leon Flock, who scored the only goal in a 1-0 victory over FC Cincinnati. That goal coming in the 59th minute in a very cagey and I would say extremely competitive match, Harvey, despite... I, you know, I guess we would say that Philadelphia Union certainly on paper were the better team. They were the fresher team because they did not have to, because they had the bye week with being the top seed in the Eastern Conference. But another very close and competitive game, similar to the two fixtures that we saw from this in the regular season between Cincinnati and Philadelphia. What did you make of this one, Harvey? And do you think that Cincy maybe got robbed or did they just give Philly a run for their money? I wouldn't say robbed. I'd say they just they they probably got more out of the game than probably was expected. Um, they arguably should have scored. I'm not sure how they just they usually score all these in all these games. But these are the types of games that you, the Union have won all season, and even going back to last season as well. When you have arguably the most cohesive, connected, and battle tested back four in the league with the goalkeeper of the year and Andre Blake, and we'll get to the other awards later. Once once you start with him, you can just end with him as well because he makes these unbelievable saves week after week that just paralyze your thoughts and make you say, wow, because he does 
the incredible. And as long as you have him, you always got a chance of at least a clean sheet at the very least, or just keeping the the opposition at a goal. And look, that goal by Leon Flock was almost out of nothing because it was coming out of like a weird sequence, at, uh, like the corner kick or uh, some sort of set piece. And one of the, the weird things in MLS this year, and probably like you can see in all of Europe, is that the second phase of set pieces is the most difficult sequence to, I guess, defend because you have to A, reposition, reposition yourself to not um, like lose, you know, fall in line with the other defenders. And you also have to attack the new offensive player trying to uh, bring in a cross or probably trying to center a pass to bring in a cross. And that's kind of what happened, even though a few ricochets here and then the box and then just a wicked uh, flock flick, I guess people are calling it. I'm not sure what they're calling it, but either way, it counts as a goal. And um, look, um, they win again. They win these narrow games because they have the best def- defense in all of the league. And for some odd reason, that type of luck, that type of luck just runs through you. And that's just how it goes. Yeah, I did think Philadelphia was the better team in this game, Harvey. But, you know, if you look at it, it's fairly even across the board. You know, uh, possession was fairly even. It was 16 shots to 15 in favor of Philly. 11 total on shots, 6 to 5 bet- um in favor of Philadelphia, Brandon Vasquez and Brenner combined for five shots. I don't know that they were the most dangerous players that you had. I thought Lucho certainly got on the ball, but I feel like the chances that Barriel had, you know, were the more dangerous ones. But to that point, Harvey, you know, I think just it, it was a cagey match. It was back and forth, and I don't think it was going to be a pre- it was it wasn't going to be a pretty goal that was going to score this. It was going to be a singular moment for one player. And that was ultimately going to be the difference. And I guess fitting for flock to finally score his first goal of the season and open up his 2022 account by doing it in the first playoff game and, scoring a winner but I think credit to both teams defensively for how they absorbed pressure how they dealt with it to your point I thought Andre Blake was fantastic you know I thought Cincinnati for all we talked about how they are limited defensively about how if they're going to do anything in the playoffs they have to win every single game 3-2 and an extra time and everything you know they didn't let Gazdog come out and run wild they didn't uh, let Ure come out and run wild you know I thought they were very disciplined they weren't super impressive they didn't prevent fires at times but certainly they put all but one of them out it was a competitive game I guess just the fact that it wasn't pretty soccer like it was it, it was closer to like a rock fight it was it, it the Philadelphia Union when they play against prettier teams or teams that want to get into high scoring games they just turn it into a mucky game and it is a rock fight BYOR bring your own rock and Philadelphia Union brought the rocks and maybe Cincinnati didn't get the memo from that to hit up the rock quarry in Ohio before coming out um in that regard I thought the game state favored Philly and was what they wanted out of the game. And in that regard, they took advantage. And in that, I thought they were deserving to advance. But credit to Cincinnati. You know what? They've won the wooden spoon or been second in the wooden spoon standings. Every single year they've been in MLS. They find a way into the playoffs. Pat Noon's completely turned that team around. They're a way better roster build now. All of their attacking players, absolutely fantastic. Lucho Acosta, one of the best number 10s in the league. Brenner could get sold, you know, in the next couple of years for millions of dollars to Europe. Brandon Vasquez, obviously I don't think he's going to be involved in 
on the roster that's going to be assembling in Qatar, but I think certainly uh, should be in a conversation uh, into the first half of next World Cup cycle for the United States men's national team. So I thought they were absolutely fantastic. The fact that they could win a playoff game and then give the an Eastern Conference champion in the regular season uh, a run for their money in the playoffs speaks so well to what I think they have the potential to do um, in the next few years as this project continues to grow. Harvey, anything else we want to say about this match, or shall we move on to the madness that once again was El Trafico? Well, real quickly, because, yeah, because El Trafico brought all the traffic, as they say. But real quick, it's very rare that a game gets, I guess, uglified, if that's a word, that, you know, the home team scores a goal, but their XG was nearly two. And as you mentioned, for Cincinnati, this was their best ever campaign. And look, if there's a way somehow for them to build off this, then you can probably... I guess, predict if they keep this squad intact because it's always hard um, to keep players given the interest of Europe and other teams' uh, superpowers and all that stuff. But if Cincinnati want to build off this and I get and then continue with how they go, then I don't see how top four is out of the question for them next year. Certainly not with Spoon. That's that, that's done for them um, for the time being. But top four, they could definitely eye. And if they can get um, probably another center back, and who knows? Maybe they do threaten for top three, three to five next year. I mean, they finished five this year, but they certainly weren't out of place this year. We move on to the nightcap from this past Thursday that was El Trafico from the Bank of California set stadium. Um, just the second time that LAFC and Los Angeles Galaxy have met in the playoffs, and this one did not disappoint. A dramatic 3-2 victory for LAFC. Harvey... Galaxy come out and I thought they were the better team through 20 minutes. I thought they played the way that they wanted to. I thought they were getting balls in behind. Their movement off the ball was making stuff difficult for LAFC and LAFC couldn't do anything in transition. And then despite all the the moments that Douglas Costa has had, this season has overall not been impressive and he slips and falls down. Some complaint for a foul. I'm not sure that's there. And Danny Bowanga scores to open up the scoring right before halftime. Samuel Grancier on a rope off of a rebound to make it 1-1. And then the two teams kind of go back and forth. I thought LAFC was the better team slightly in the second half, them kind of imposing their game plan and getting on the ball on the LA Galaxy and the LA Galaxy had to respond. Boanga scores in the 80th minute um, off of another really good sequence from LAFC to open up the um, uh, open up the LA Galaxy defense. Not a good night for the two outside backs from LA Galaxy. Julian Araujo, um, you know, had some tough moments defensively and couldn't really do anything in the attack. And Raheem Edwards, other than a few moments where he was able to dribble out of pressure with one man on him, I think clearly showed... Um, that he's limited when it comes to these kinds of playoff moments and maybe why LAFC chose not to keep him. But then Dejan Jovalik, the chess master, comes off the bench and pulls his best Alan Gordon impression with an absolute golosso on his first touch into the game in the 85th. I swear to God, Harvey, I was convinced this thing was going to go to extra time and then this knife fight was going to turn into a rock fight. And then Christian Arango decided to tap in on a broken play on a second chance ball off of a corner in the third minute of stoppage time with the game finishing up two minutes later. Harvey, just your initial thoughts on El Trafico and the madness that it was. I tweeted after the game that this was, first off, it's another instant classic between the teams. You could have like a 30 for 30 on this rivalry alone just filled with classics from their very from their very first game in 2018. And uh, it's the best game of the playoffs so far, in my opinion. And second of all, it... It kind of ushers in just the heart, the cold hard facts that LA Galaxy, despite uh, 
you know, huffing and puffing. They simply can't blow the LAFC house down um, with their lack of firepower, with, um, I guess, the lack of depth, whether it's in midfield. I mean, Ricky Pugh can do it only so much in midfield, but relying on guys like Grant Sear and uh, Douglas Costa, you know, it's going to be like real questions for Greg Vanny next year to see how they can take the next step up because finishing in fourth, even that was sketchy at times when they uh, finished the regular season out. So, um, but as you mentioned, LAFC, LA Galaxy, you know, the fact that this was the last game of of this season between the two teams and then they host, um, they played at the Rose Bowl next year to open up the season. That's enough of a promo just to like you could just make a hype trailer of this game and the other games of this season. So I'm I am I'm fascinated by that for next year. Um that Rose Bowl is gonna be packed more than USC games and UCLA games combined. And for LAFC it's just like another feather in the cap of Steve Chirandolo who made who made the changes and who I guess changed a bit of a system um to pull out the 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 win. And look when it comes to great teams for some reason, they just have more answers to the test than others. So when you have Buanga score a double and then Chicha Rango, who people have been wondering whether they were going to trade him or sell him off to something. And now nah, they kept him on because he's clutch and because he scores goals. That's why you keep a guy like that. So prof to LAFC for pulling out another win, another big win over, over the LA Galaxy. Yeah, no, good stuff on there, Harvey. You know, like I said, I feel like this game, this is a game of, Moments, because if you look at all of the goals that were scored, it was two really good back post runs by Buwanga to beat a defender to the ball. I don't think the LA Galaxy defense, you know, showed their quality at all in this game with what they had been, you know, the final seven games of the regular season. And then certainly in getting the shutout in the first round of the playoffs against Nashville. But then you look at it defensively for LAFC, you know, yeah, is it two unlikely goals and it's two spectacular individual shots from Grand Seer and then from Dejan Jova? Yes, but you didn't see a lot of pressure to kind of close that down. And that's kind of the one big question that I have for LAFC other than, you know, is Gareth Bale actually going to play or is he just <laughs> Harvey, I would love to go somewhere where I'm just getting paid millions of dollars to slightly train and play football and then just play golf like on the weekends while my team's actually playing I I I still don't get this signing at all in that regard I can understand having Chiellini to come in and lock things down and you know at times LASC Trondolo wanting to play with three center backs and not having um you know Leon Flaw fall excuse me kind of affected that but you know Segura and Murillo don't chase down that ball I don't think on either of those goals that were scored that Ilay Sanchez or Kellen Acosta particularly covered themselves in glory and so for teams that have good secondary runners in the box that are going to have multiple players and multiple waves that can attack you like Sebastian Driussi finding a starting forward and then Diego Fagundes or a Rigonier coming into the box or certainly the way Philadelphia plays with their fullbacks and their overlapping midfielders and everything. I, I think that's clearly a weakness for this LAFC defense and obviously the one crux that's been with LA Galaxy this entire season has been defensive defending on set pieces and like you said Harvey earlier about you know it's second balls or the dealing with the second sequence not the initial ball in 
on set pieces is one of the hardest things to deal with. And LA Galaxy didn't deal with it. Chicho Rongo, who hadn't gotten a lot of sniffs all game long, uh, was able to pounce on it. So th- this game continues to be not only chaos and back and forth. And as soon as one team scores, you know, the uh, the team that's down a goal feels like they're down 10 nil. And then it kind of goes back and forth. And no matter what the scoreline is, the game's never actually over, as it showed in this one. You know, to your point, you could do a I think if there's any rivalry, Harvey, that you could do. I'm not sure there's another rivalry in MLS, maybe even in all of sports, that has had so few games played. It's only, what, five, six years old, and you could do a 30 for 30 on it because every single game has been a banger. It's been heated. The two teams don't like each other. They're close. They're competitive, regardless of what's happening between each individual teams. But I think fundamentally this still shows that LAFC, the little brother, has now outgrown the older brother in this rivalry and that still you know uh remains to be seen for me in terms of the types of signings that they're making the presence that they have in the league the presence that they have internationally the amount of money that they're spending to be honest what things look like from an atmosphere inside the stadiums and certainly head-to-head when it's mattered most um you know ultimately LAFC has come out the the better of the teams in this one um last thing that I'll throw to you on this one Harvey uh the officiating got a lot of ire in this game, I didn't mention it earlier, but Ricky Pooge with maybe a little bit of the lightest headbutt possible that I think could send Mario to the ground in an absolute agonizing migraine pain goes down. Uh, you could argue Mario, who's on a yellow card, comes in late on a player in the second half, I think on Brugman, and he could have gotten a second yellow and he didn't. There was that sequence that you had with the free kick that almost led to a goal right at the end of the first half where you had Raheem Edwards sliding in on Carlos Vela, but I went back and I had to look at this multiple times. My initial take on Twitter, I ended up needing to issue a mea culpa on that was Mela dragged his leg in order to force the contact in order to go down, but he was always going down. Even then, if you're viewing that the contact was a foul, it was absolutely outside the box and there was potentially going to be a penalty or a card on Raheem Edwards. And I think from a game management standpoint, in terms of not letting it boil over, Harvey, I think that Alan Chapman handled it well, but I think it was pretty clear something was going to have to be horribly egregious for him to make a decision that was going to severely alter the game. And while there are individual moments where I think the fans of one team could be really upset about it, I think that's how I'd want a playoff game officiated. Yeah, for sure. You never want to be the story, obviously. And Alan Chapman did everything in his power to not um, brandish a red card to either side. And Ricky Pooch got lucky. Because there have been times, and this is pretty much, I guess, the Europe, the Europeification, Europeification, whatever, the Europe style, um, you know, visual eyes that we get when we watch Premier League games or La Liga games or Serie A games, where you know head headbutts are automatic red cards, but um, and even in Ricky Puig's situation, he could have gotten sent off for that and really sent his team down a sinkhole, but he wasn't. He got lucky. Um, if it, was a, if it was probably another MLS ref doing this game, he probably would have been sent off. But you are right. Um, this was probably as, I don't want to say as well officiated, but as, you know, it was a good job given the circumstances of a rivalry game that could have easily just slipped over the edge in terms of, like, heated physicality and whatnot. But thankfully, he did. Now, I'm not sure if who who's being assigned the conference final games. Um, I don't think Alan Chapman won the Referee of the Year award, if I'm not mistaken. No. So, um, look, 
Um, he's probably happy he's not going to fish any more heated games because the heated games coming up are pretty much more heated. But, look, Alan Chapman did well uh, to, uh, I guess, nullify anything going overboard. But, yeah, there were some sketchy moments, as always. And, look, it's not going to, you know, it's, it's not going to, like, end. You know, once once the Rose Bowl game comes, that's going to be heated no matter if it's the first game or a playoff game. So, look, officiating is always sketchy. We, we've always had our words about pro refs. And, you know, the questions that you've asked, Matt, to referees post-game and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, a decent job by Alan Chapman on this one. Let's move on to the games from Sunday, Harvey. We will start chronologically with the other Eastern Conference semifinal, Montreal hosting NYCFC. And it was all citizens in this battle of the two blue teams, Harvey. Six minutes in, Maxi Morales in transition. A Bear with a nice finish just before halftime. And then Talos Magno winning and converting a penalty just after the hour mark. Jordi Mihailovic with effectively a garbage goal in the 85th minute. But, you know... <laughs> Harvey, Montreal comes out, and I think they play the way that they wanted to. Kai Kamara got chances. Victor Moyama had a good game. Mihailovic got on the ball and everything. I think this game ultimately came down to execution, and I think NYCFC showed their quality as defending champions, even in a raucous environment on, in Stadsaputo, on the road, tough environment, chilly weather as well. Um, I think this game, I think that it showed Montreal, if they were to keep their uh, core together, which I don't think they will this offseason, could be where NYCFC is right now in two to three years. And I think the playoff experience from NYCFC showed, their quality and their top-level talent showed, and ultimately with each goal that came, that just affected the game state that I think played even further into their hands and just ratcheted up the pressure and the anxiety for Montreal, and unfortunately just all went pear-shaped for club to foot. Yeah, you mentioned the chances. Guess who stopped those chances? The their best, one of the better goalkeepers in the league, and Sean Johnson. You know, you can't. I, you know, Adrian Heath um, was was probably you can tell when Adrian Heath on commentary um, is astounded by a say when he goes oh, and he says that I was astounded too because the header that I believe was tipped onto the post, I believe it was a Kamara header um, that saved. That's on me because I was watching the game while at work and I was flabbergasted man because not only is it that you got um overcome a midfield of of Morales and Acevedo from NYCFC but you got overcome the defenders of Akayans, Martin, Chanel and Tenderholm but then that last line defense and Sean Johnson is almost too much to handle especially for a team like Montreal who despite having an XG of 2.80 only came up with one goal and most of that's because of Sean Johnson um, and look, you mentioned it six minutes in, they get the goal from Maxi Morales, who, look, I'm a Red Bulls fan, so I don't like them by default, but give credit to where it's due. Maxi Morales has been um, arguably the best number 10 in the league since he's been in MLS. He, and there's been arguments between him, Villa, Johnson, and Tati as Morales being arguably the best player in NYCFC history. So at the age of... I'll bring that to you right now. At the age of 35, he's still ticking. And he's he's playing in a deeper midfield role as, as well because Sebastian Rodriguez has become Santiago Rodriguez, excuse me, has become their team MVP. Um with another assist. He had, I believe, two against Inter Miami. I believe the guy's on loan from Uruguay. And that just speaks to NYCFC's recruitment to get players such as this, and he just keep on ticking no matter what. And they this team 
despite losing Tati and despite going on their little 10 game, you know, malaise in the summer, they haven't dropped off much. Herbert has gotten another goal. Tyus Magno is doing good. They're bringing in, they're bringing in, let's see, they're bringing in Kevin O'Toole, who you probably didn't hear much from, from a, about a month ago. And he's playing left wing for this team. And you got Tyus Magno coming off the bench. It's kind of unfair. But this team has just become a well-oiled machine playing some of the best soccer of any team in, in the playoffs. And, you know, you mentioned the game state for stuff like this. This game state kind of went only one way once you noticed that Sean Johnson was going to be on top for him. And that was just going to be all NYCFC. They just control the ball. They pass and move. Their passing sequences are amazing. And they just overpowered. They took the crowd out of it like that. And look, I'm not sure um, how you can, you know, you can hit on them all you want, but they just they just keep on rolling and they're all to another conference final. So um, credit to them. They do it again. Yeah. Um, nothing else that I really want to say about this one. I Well, I guess, Harvey, Anton Tannerholm coming back just in time for a playoff run as well, I think is huge for that back line and that wide play that they're trying to establish. But, you know, I think the... You know, I just I, I I think this game really came down to the championship medal that NYCFC had and the raw, not naivete, the lack of playoff experience that this Montreal group really had in kind of those critical moments and everything. And so I, I think NYCFC is setting themselves up really well to be under the radar. You know, they're going to be underdogs to Philadelphia Union, as we'll get to in a few minutes. All the narrative around this is going to be Philly saying, you know, revenge for last year when ultimately the team was defeated by New York COVID FC rather than actually being beaten by NYCFC. And I think they're set up to, you know, they can't, they're also one of they're the only one of the four teams remaining in the conference finals that cannot host the final. So if LAFC hosts, it's all going to be about, oh, Gareth Bale and Carlos Vela and LAFC finally hosting a final at the Bank of California Stadium, and it's going to be sold out and a beautiful day in Southern California. Same thing for Austin going from bottom of the Western Conference to then hosting MLS Cup and everything. NYCFC just plugging along, doing their thing, we'll win our second cup, NBD. Let's move on, Harvey, to Copa Tejas, which took place on Sunday evening, 2-1 to the Verde in black over the red and blue of FC Dallas. Goals from Gite in the 26th minute, and then three minutes later from Sebastian Driussi in the 29th. Velasco with a great goal in the 65th, but ultimately it was too little too late from FC Dallas. <laughs> Harvey, the big one for me, I think all the lessons that RSL unknowingly taught Austin from the first round playoff game about coming out, dominating, not getting a goal, and then not keeping up the pressure even after you're not getting goals. Austin completely took those lessons to heart in this one. They scored two goals in quick succession, completely undo Dallas's game plan. I don't fully understand the lineup decision or just the the game plan from FC Dallas. I know they've mostly been playing in the 3-4-2-1, but you know, I I just I didn't understand the shape and everything. I didn't understand what they were trying to do. Frank O'Hara comes on at halftime. Um you had uh who is it that got uh subbed out in the game at halftime as well? I think Pax and Pomical came on or I can't remember. There's a substitution. Frank O'Hara Frank- came on, yes. I believe. So Frank O'Hara comes in, but, you know, uh, Harvey, I think this was all about, I think Dallas wasn't ready to play for minute one. And I think with everything that almost went horribly wrong for Austin in their first 
playoff game. They were ready to go for minute one and they made it count. And then once it was 2-0 by the half hour mark, at that point, similar to NYCFC, though only with a two-goal margin instead of a three-goal margin, was just them about managing the game state and everything. And I thought they controlled it out professionally, despite all the huffing and puffing that Dallas did in the end. Um Pace, I thought, you know, made a bunch of really big saves as well. But I don't think that, you know, this wasn't Brad Stuver having to save Austin in the way that he had to be the hero in penalties against RSL. Yeah, no, I think Austin, you definitely mentioned, you definitely brought it up. They definitely learned their lessons from the RSL game. And whether it's a different stylistic opponent to FC Dallas or whatnot, they simply just shut Dallas down, which was kind of, which was kind of the bummer for me in this game because I thought this game was going to go like extra time. Firepower against firepower, all that stuff. But no, Austin had none of it. They shut them down. The two goals were quick and painless, and they just they some they just coasted in the second half. Honestly, um, Brastuva, as you mentioned, didn't have to do much. Um, Musa Gite definitely did much, and was basically my man of the match for how great he was leading the line. And look, whether Paxton Pamako should have started for Dallas over Kignon is one one thing. But I guess having Sebastian Legette higher up the field and like Paul Aureola kind of dis- disappeared in this game, leaving it up to Alan Velasco, who is a baller, um, to get the only goal for Dallas. Um, it just kind of speaks to uh, what more they need to do in the offseason to lighten the load up for him because um, Jesus Ferreira was muted as well in this game. And so, look, um, given how the season went for Dallas, there'll be, I guess, a bit with the heads held up high. But to lose to your rival in this sort of fashion, just be blunted throughout the game, disappointment. But for Austin, look, it's kind of expected. This team just has more answers than Dallas on the night. And they just have, I guess, more ways to threaten the opposition than other teams, whether it was a Minnesota or Dallas or Russell Lake, or even a Galaxy, all the Austin um, FC. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe they they had their that MLS uh, writers editors uh, post uh, in the in the in the locker room to motivate them about guys like Tom Boger and Charles Bohm having them twelfth and thirteenth. That's probably what motivated them. But other than that, they they played the game and they did well. And they got and they went through. Thankfully for them, they didn't have to expend any more energy going an extra time for the Western Conference Final. But um, one thing I will say is they need to defend uh, set pieces better I've, because that save that Struver had on, I forget who it was, but he basically kick-saved it. And it's basically the save of the playoffs. And so they need to really shore that up because any of these little moments can, can decide the games coming up. And for them, they really need to shore that up. Anything else that we want to say reviewing the conference semifinals, Harvey, or shall we move on to the conference finals, which will take place this Sunday? Nah, let's move on to Sunday. We're done with this. Okay, yeah, so uh, we'll start chronologically, folks. The early kickoff for us will be uh, the Western Conference Final. LAFC hosting Austin FC in this one at the Bank of California Stadium. Uh, Harvey, last time LAFC lost by a lot of goals, it was to Austin FC, but that was at Q2 Stadium. Austin have been very good. In this matchup, so far this season, at least they were in the regular 
season. You know, I look at this and I wonder, I, I've got real questions about what the line, I could tell you the starting lineup right now for Austin off the top of my head, probably. I don't know that I could do that for LAFC. I think given that we only have one data point in terms of the playoffs roster, I think it's a question, is Gareth Bale back in the fray, given that you have five subs, and then if you go to extra time of six, is he on the bench? Same thing for Chiellini, or whether or not he comes in, starts, but then gets subbed out at the center back role. I think the midfield is mostly settled with uh, Ilya Sanchez and then Kellen Acosta as well, but I don't know who plays in the front line, and I think that makes it an interesting question in terms of how Austin will go about defending this game, but I do think, I think regardless of who ends up playing, I think we'll see a similar game plan that we've seen LAFC have success with down the run, and that they started with against LA Galaxy, which I think they're going to let Austin have the ball, and I think Austin as they've shown in their first two playoff games, are comfortable having the ball and then allowing Felipe Martins and Alexander Ring to deal with what's happening in transition to try and hurt them. And honestly, honestly, Harvey, I think you put a body on a on uh, you put a body on Carlos Vela and don't let him, uh, you know, retract back to the ball and then turn and do something with it. And you don't leave Boanga wide open like the LA Galaxy did. And I'm not super scared of this LAFC attack that isn't them being on the front foot. At the same time, I still think I still think LAFC has the quality to where they're probably going to win this game. Any one of their front three is super terrifying. And yeah, I think we've seen DJ be good so far this season, or at least he's been good down the stretch, but I'm not sure you're scared of the number nine from Austin FC. I think it's Driussi. I think it's... Um, Diego Fagundes, and I do think, Harvey, there will be a point in this game in which Rigoni gets an opportunity to make a really good play. We have not seen him come off for Austin in his first few months at the club. I think this game could hinge on whether or not he executes with the chances that he get gets, given how LAFC is going to cue on those other players. But what, what do you see from this game? Not only that, just to add to your, to your Austin FC thing, if Maxi Ruti comes off the bench too, what impact does he have, whether it's in the, inside the 90 or an extra time. If Austin FC has the ball, the way you kind of pictured it with LAFC going on the counterattack, they might lose because I think it's imperative that LAFC has the ball more than Austin FC. Not only just to at least get uh, attacks flowing, but just so Austin FC um, doesn't have the ball. If LAFC goes on the counterattack, then maybe Bale starts. But if Bale starts, it would surprise me only because of the fact that he hasn't been much of a factor for this team, basically since he signed. I mean, ever since he scored that goal against RSL, that solo goal, he's pretty much done nothing, if anything. And having Chiellini um, coming off the bench for the back back line, I'm not sure. That's, that's become like a net, a net negative, slowly. Um, and this game is... All about the pressure on LAFC. I think LAFC has way more pressure on this game than Austin just because of the fact that they won the Shield. They spent, They need to make MLS Cup. If they lose again at home, similar to how they lost to Seattle all those years ago in the Western Conference Final, then what? And then you know, you're going you're gonna to spend more money to fix the team in the offseason next year? Who knows? But for Josh Wolf, this could become like a seminal moment. To have sort of like the Atlanta FC, uh, Atlanta United rising, where they make MLS Cup in their third season, I believe, in existence. Um, it's fascinating. This this could be, out of the two games, this could be the one that goes the, the, the full distance, probably the penalties. And it would really uh, surprise me if 
LAFC not only does not score, because Austin's, Austin's defense is good, but if LAFC don't score twice, because Austin's defense, while I did say it is, just, it is good just now, they can be had. And so LAFC really need to be smart on the ball and pick their moments to attack. We'll get to predictions in a little bit, Harvey, but let's move on to the Eastern Conference Final, which I think, Harvey, is it safe to say that this is like the Harvey Cruz hater match, like the two teams that you hate the most in MLS, or would DC be in there? Oh, dude, if it was DC in there, it'd it'd take all the cake and all the cherries on top. Like, it would really annoy me. The fact that these two teams have been the best two teams since 2019 um, should anger a lot of fan bases because of the fact that the union have basically done it organically. NYCFC have done it organically while recruiting the best talents from South America and, um, you know, academy kids as well. Um, but yeah, I hate this game uh, forever. I hated last year as well, even if you, the union pulled it out. Um but yeah, this game will really show us something, wouldn't it? It'd be it'd, it'd be the real, the quote-unquote real Eastern Conference Final because of last year's debacle. Um, and this game, I'm not sure who's roughing the game, but whoever's roughing the game is not going to have a good day because this game could easily turn um, into essentially like a filibuster on the pitch. You will have a bunch of people just coming after the ref for any and everything. Um you know, it wasn't that long ago that uh, a trainer or a physician or someone uh, from the union was made famous for shoving an NYCFC player on the pitch when the two teams last played at Subaru Park, where the Philadelphia Union have not lost at home all season. And this is the real test for NYCFC because they've lost both, game, both games to Philadelphia this year um, with Tati and without Tati. This is Nick Cushing's biggest test. And kind of like the Union, all the pressure's on the Union because they have to win this game, basically just to justify the fact that they've scored the most goals in the league, they've conceded the fewest, they were the top dogs in the East for pretty much the entire season, they were the most consistent team throughout the year, they have, you know, the best, arguably, at every position except for probably forward. And if you look at them, if you if you can make up a best 11, of players from both sides. You could go six for one team and five in the other, or six for the Union and five for NYCFC, because this is, re- this is really an evenly matched game. Uh, and look, I hate it. You've known that I've hated this. Um, but it's just how it is, you know? It's like watching... I wasn't born for this, but when the 1980 NFC Championship game between the Eagles and Cowboys happened, that kind of, if I was a Giants fan at the time, I would have been disgusted. Which is why I was so happy when in the mid-2000s, the Eagles would lose NFC Championship game after NFC Championship game, whether it was the Rams, Panthers, Bucks. Um, but then they won the Super Bowl and even that. Annoying, but whatever. Uh, I digress. Uh, this, game, <laughs> this, game, this game is not for the faint of heart. I'm telling you guys, this game is, is going to be physical. There's going to be tackles flying. This is going to be a classic. A classic, uh, hard fought game between two teams that are forming kind of like the new modern day modern day age rivalry in MLS. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like LAFC, LA Galaxy, but there's not many classics. It's just more hard hitting affairs. Yeah. No. Okay. Uh, you're 
your non-linear soliloquy notwithstanding, Harvey, just a quick little fact for you. Uh, Armando Villarreal will be the center referee uh, for LAFC versus Austin, and then the most hated man in Philadelphia on Sunday will be Alan Chapman as well. So I think I think that's the fitting matchup one, Harvey, because if there's anyone that's going to get physical and crazy and going to be an opportunity where someone can give up a penalty or a red card, I feel like it would be the Eastern Conference Final. And then if you want the ref that's not going to give it, and let chaos reign and everything, it's going to be Alan Chapman. So, but, you know, I think where the key thing for me, Harvey, where I think the Western Conference final is really styles make fights and then both teams strengthen what they want to do fits into what the other team wants to allow the opponent to do. I feel like this one's completely the opposite. Both teams are comfortable on the ball. Both teams like to press. Both teams, I think, are in their best in transition as well and they've got talent all over the pitch and everything and you know two fantastic goalkeepers great center backs Alexander Callens uh not Gazzag, excuse me, um, uh, Jacob Glesnes for uh, Philadelphia Union, great midfields. Like, I don't see, I, I can't go across matchup to matchup and then find distinct weaknesses that I like or dislike between the two teams. You know, midfield-wise, I would take Fagundes and Driussi over what LAFC has. I would take LAFC's outside backs over I w- over the Austin FC. I'm not sure, like, I, I, I'm not sure that I could easily come up with a best 11 between the two teams that favors one or the other I think there's arguments for everybody even you know you know with that but so I think ultimately it's about the uh, both teams I think are gonna I think it's about who ultimately is dominating possession on the ball because then I think that's indicating which team is dictating the tempo but both teams it's gonna play to both teams strength and so this is the one that I don't know how to feel about Harvey I think the question is I think who gets the first goal because if Philly gets the first goal then I think they can just turn it into a rock fight and I don't know that NYCFC is bringing their own rocks in the same way that Philadelphia is and then if LAFC or excuse me if um NYCFC scores first then I think that favors their game state I think the first goal is extremely critical I think um who's dominating in terms of better on the ball and better physically is going to be in this game I think it's the I think this is the one that I think is going to be played at a higher level than Austin LAFC will for me is the kind of person who appreciates a pitcher's duel or a one nothing NHL game where the defenses and the goaltenders are playing extremely well this is the kind of game I will enjoy more to the general MLS fan to the uh casual soccer fan to the fan that is watching this game to decide whether or not to watch MLS Cup I think there will be more goals in the Western Conference Finals to a neutral or to a casual it will be more aesthetically pleasing than this game but that makes me even more intrigued for the Eastern Conference Final we've we've been rambling Harvey anything else that we want to say or shall we get to actual roundtable stuff well, real quick, Major League Soccer should be doing victory laps because they've really got, they've really gotten four of the more, uh, I guess, pleasing teams to watch uh, these conference finals. And yeah, um, first goal. The funny thing about that first goal stuff is that Philly scored the first goal last year against NYCFC and they lost. And whatever, that's the COVID year. Who cares about that? But yeah, as you mentioned, NYC, if NYCFC score first, they could just play their game and, uh, and just suck Philly in. Um, to the pressure, but yeah, I totally agree with you. Austin and LAFC will probably bring more goals to the to the party, but NYCFC and Union will bring more hostility, more last minute drama, and more I guess subplots and narratives to talk, and more talking points after the game. Um, 
Okay, Harvey, let's get to the round table. We'll save our predictions for last, folks. But first of all, um, unless you've been living under a rock, you're aware of the report that originally came out at The Athletic that um, MLS is considering changing their playoff format, Harvey, rather than this being the top seven teams in both conferences with a bracketed format with the top teams in each conference getting a bye. This would be eight teams for both conferences. Then we would go World Cup group style, four groups, each team playing three games. Higher seeded teams would get two home games. Potentially the lowest seeded team would play all three of those games on the road. Top two teams advance and then knock out from that point on. Um, Harvey, it's been three years since we've had the new format that got rid of the two-leg series. I think in terms of it being competitive and it being exciting games and the hardcore MLS fans reacting to it, I think it's been fair and good. You know, I, We watched so many of those first-leg games, Harvey, where it was just ugly soccer and two teams playing for nil-nil and waiting for the second leg, and the second legs would absolutely pop off, and I didn't care for that. But... You know, I think this is, you know, I don't like this new format. I think it'd be extremely complicated. It'd be extremely weird to trying to explain to the to the casual fan or to a fan that you're trying to get into Major League Soccer because the Euro snobs and the people from abroad that already think the simple fact that the Supporters' Shield is not the MLS Cup winner are going to look at the playoffs no matter what and say, this is hokey and weird, why are you doing this? And then this is so much different from every single other playoff format that you have in American sports that just simply trying to explain it to where somebody can understand it. I, Harvey, I'd rather have to explain to Ted Lasso for the seventh time how offsides work than try to explain to him how this works when he takes the Houston Dynamo job in two weeks. So I, so I don't know how to, I don't know how to make sense of this in that regard. I like the format as it is. It makes every single game matters because it's literally win or go home. It's extremely competitive. I realize the fact that it's single game elimination in a lot of ways cheapens the regular season but I think this would even cheapen the regular season more you know Greg Berhalter has had this mantra of the World Cup is almost it's two stages it's get out of the group and then it's do something the knockout round and I think this would first of all you're adding more playoff teams which I don't agree with and then you would be I think you'd further diminish the regular season because it's like get to the regular season to get to the group stage to then get to the final four um and I I think ultimately Harvey this is a uh, this is MLS trying to make both parties, both their existing fans happy and their existing and the people within their circles happy, try and expand, but doing it in a way that makes nobody happy. You know, like how Twitter reacted to She-Hulk, for example. Um, and ultimately, I think this is this is going about them trying to address the wrong problem, the right problem with the wrong solution. And ultimately... There's a part of me, Harvey, that's also just wondering, we know that playoff games make us money because it's the end of the season and all the games are on national TV and this, that, and the other thing. But I'm wondering how much of this is, so let's just make more playoff games, even though that diminishes the importance of those playoff games to make more money. I don't know. I've been ranting. Harvey, what do you think? You've been shaking your head this whole time, so clearly you hate this as much as me. Look, I'm a traditionalist, first and foremost, so I I wish that the old format was back because A... People need to get over the first legs, whether it's dull or not. It's all part of of how it goes. And there's been fun first legs as well. So I don't want to hear that stuff. Second of all, if your team makes the playoffs, the least it could have is a home playoff game, which is why I kind of support the the two-legged format. Joseph Martinez, who we'll get to later, also supports the two-legged format. So at least I got that for me. But whatever. As you mentioned, this has been three years. Three years ago, they changed the format. 
to bring in an exciting, um, uh, I guess, rapid style uh, single elimination top seven teams and all that stuff um, into the league. Um, I guess the only downside to that so far is that, you know, you get into the playoffs and you're one and done and that's it. Nobody cares for you. But this thing about a World Cup style format, when has that ever fit into any league ever? Let's... So the plan is for next year, I believe, right? If I'm reading this correctly. So you want to have a World Cup style uh, reg- uh, type playoff for the MLS. You want to have US Open Cup. That's two. You want to have the MLS Cup playoffs. That's three. The regular season four. And the League's Cup with Liga MX as well. Did we just forget about that as well? Not to mention international breaks. Uh, uh, that Campiones Cup, I believe that's called. Um well, the champion, the CONCACAF Champions League, and you got to squeeze in the Gold Cup next year. That's going to be uh, having the final in San Diego at SoFi Stadium. I'm sorry, in Los Angeles. You want to you squeeze all that into 365 days where there's only 24 hours in a day? What are we doing? Why does this have to be like this? There's not enough um, depth of squads or money to bring in enough players to build out a squad big enough for every team to do this. It is um, probably the most maniacal thing I've seen um, MLS try to do, or at least reported trying to do, that I've heard. I don't like it. I hate it. I'd rather stick with this format. I'd rather go back to the two-legged format. Because for me, the regular season has to mean something. The first stage of any season has to matter the most because that's why you build um, your transfer windows up that's why you do your scouting to bring in players. That's why you go through all the games in midseason. And oh, I forgot to mention the MLS All-Star game as well. And the skills competition as well to squeeze in. Um, you know, and the support shield has to mean something because it's the first trophy on offer besides the U.S. Open Cup. Um, you've been ranting. I've been ranting. I, I'm sure like if we had Jamie and uh, Rachel and um, Danny who aren't with us, but I'm sure they feel the same way. I don't understand the, the upside of this stuff as well. You can't just um, think that more games because more money is on offer. That's just going to solve things. I remember I'm in my car at a parking lot, mini story. I'm in my car in my parking lot. I'm watching the Gold, the Gold Cup Centenario Final between Chile and Argentina at MetLife. And a week before, the New York Times article was, they had one posted about burnout for soccer players. And that guys like Lionel Messi are playing the most soccer games in a calendar year between league games, Champions League games, cup games, and uh, friendly games, and then international, international cup games. And you're essentially implementing the same thing with players. And so I don't understand, there's, there's no point or benefit to this for me. Uh, the sooner they they the sooner they pull a joke like haha you know April Fools and Halloween stuff like that the better it is for us because I don't think we want to see this. It's bad enough that you know stuff aspects of the MLS season are, are like are being diluted or just not being taken as seriously as others. And you want to throw this in as well? Just scrap the thing, keep it as it is, and pray that you know your players who make up the product don't get hurt long time, long time or long term. And that the product can maintain a high standard. That way, you know, TV rights deals um, can bring in more revenue, more money, if that's what they care about mostly. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
I don't like this, Harvey. Um, the other question that I seriously have, like, you're also, you're trying to squeeze this in at the end of the season when just finding times that work both for the casual fan who's interested in other sports teams and then also that work on the calendar as well. You're only complicating this by making it have more games. The season's too long. There's already too many games with League's Cup and all the other stuff going on and everything. You know, you got a team that makes remotely a deep run in Champions League and isn't one and done in League's Cup or Open Cup and everything. You're you're looking at playing 40, 45 games. That's that's too many. It's ridiculous. I don't get it. MLS is going to do what they want to do because they want playoffs and because they want more money and playoff games are literally their way for their, to make the most money. So, um, Harvey, I look forward to the CONCACAF Super League in a decade when it's just going to be Club America playing LA Galaxy every single week because that allows them to make the most money. Um, like how when the Super League kicks off in Europe, it's just going to be El Clasico 52 games out of the year. <sighs> Let's move on to something happy and something celebratory, Harvey, which is end of season awards. We haven't talked about this. We I know we did predictions way back in the beginning of the season on this. We didn't really do predictions after the regular season before any of the awards came out or when the finalists came out. But I'll go through all of them that have been announced so far, Harvey. So, um... Uh, Ishmael Elfath is officially the MLS referee of the year. I think that's fair. He's been very good and the least annoying jerks in the center of the pitch for me. Uh, Corey Rockwell has been named the assistant referee. I be honest, I don't know who that is. Jesus Ferreira has been named young <laughs> player of the year for 2022. Andre Blank, as we mentioned earlier, goalkeeper of the year. I think fair, although I thought the, the guy whose name I can never remember from New England, I thought was very, very good coming in for Matt Turner. Jacob Glessons from Philadelphia has been named defender of the year. Just Martinez has won the goal of the year, his final goal that he will have scored for Atlanta United. We'll get to that in a minute. Pedro Gallese from Orlando City wins save of the year. Philadelphia Union's Jim Curtin narrowly, like by one vote, Harvey, probably, narrowly beats out uh, CF Montreal's... um, God, I can't remember his name now. Go for Nazi. Thank you, Harvey. Um, Tiago Almeida is the MLS Newcomer of the Year. And then most recently, uh, Gonzalo Higuain, the now retired Gonzalo Higuain, has been named the MLS Comeback Player of the Year, coming back from possibly the most embarrassing quote that a MLS player has ever had. (laughs) Harvey, no real big surprises for me, to be honest. I think we could could do a whole 30-minute conversation about uh, whether other coaches that I think were deserving of coach of the Siggy Schmidt coach of the year award. I think we do a similar thing for goalkeeper of the year, but none of these, none of these ones surprise me. And those are the only two ones that I would have a slight nuance. Yes. But addition to everything else, I think has been pretty straightforward. Yeah. I guess my only, yeah, but would be, uh, Ewan winning comeback player of the year. I'm not sure what he came back from, I guess, but, um, I guess other guys like Aaron Long or, you know, just players that have been out for lengthy injury spells. You can put Justin Martinez on that for comeback player of the year if you really wanted to. Um, I believe me, Daniel, and I guess you had a Facundo Torres for our young player of the year over Jesus Ferreira. But I guess um, his overall output um, wasn't enough to over to supersede Ferreira. But other than that, I don't have many um, many gripes with anything. Um, Jim Curtin winning coach of the year. That's fitting. Um, I would have voted for Nancy over him, but look, when you win Supporters Shield and you lead the categories that you do and you build the top team like they have, you deserve it. And yeah, it's pretty much it. I don't have any money grabs with it at all. Although, although I will say this, I'm surprised that the league doesn't have like a game of the year um, type of category for the regular season or 
I'm not sure. I guess like not even like a countdown for games of the year for for the league. I'm guessing they're waiting for the playoffs to finish or something like that. But stuff like that, you know, that's this. This is my own personal thing. Those those things would be cool to like read about and look back on. Um, Harvey, let's move on to the two bits of breaking news that we have. Um, it's been rumored going into this week that Ben Olsen was in conversations with Houston Dynamo to take over for the head coaching position there with Paulo Nagamura, fired before the end of the regular season. And just a few hours ago, Mark, reports from Sam Stasekel and Pablo Maurer. Pablo Maurer, I think, pretty in tune into people in the Benny camp um, that they've agreed to terms. Harvey, I don't understand this at all. Ben Olsen is a really good mind in American soccer. His teams did not play fun or attractive soccer at all. At times, they were extremely effective, and at times, he was able to get results with a budget team. You know, they made the playoffs a few times. Uh, They won that Open Cup one time when they had one of the worst regular seasons in MLS history. This seems like another retread that is just on par with Dominic Kamir or Paulo Nagamura or Tab Ramos as well. This just seems like an old head you know, old groupie hiring that you could have for Houston, who's bringing in a bunch of money, trying to tap into that central South American market. You know, if you're not going to get a young up and coming head coach, like we've seen others have success with, or for Nancy in Montreal, Pat Noonan with Cincinnati, TBD on Ezra Henderson with Chicago. They botched that roster rebuild, but then again, Houston's roster rebuild is going to take some time as well. If you weren't going to go out and get somebody from Central America, from South America, if you weren't going to go get somebody with Liga MX experience or someone else with that type of experience with an MLS background, you go and get one of the old guys. I mean, again, Harvey, this just this is on par for me with bringing in a Dom Kinnear or a or a robo or a who's the other one that's been bouncing around in my head recently this would be like hiring jay heaps effectively i don't get this signing whatsoever good luck to the Houston dynamo this does not seem to make sense with anything that ownership has said or the direction they've gone with their signings i i am eagerly awaiting being completely surprised and having to issue Ben Olsen, you told me so, when he turns this team around or shows some growth and development in chasing the head coach in ways that Pablo Mastroeni did with Real Salt Lake, I will not be holding my breath on this one. Harvey, anything you want to say about this or shall we move on to Joseph? The piece that the piece of the reporting that got me was the fact that the other coach that was rumored to be interviewing for this job was Hugo Perez, the El Salvador national team coach. And you're shaking your head, and I was shaking my head too because that was the guy. How do you sell to your fan base that a retread like um, like Ben Olsen is going to take this team to a playoff con- to become a playoff contender and not a wooden spoon contender next year? Because that fan base is mostly Hispanic. They play most of those uh, Honduras games and El Salvador games in Dallas, Texas, um, or in or in parts of Houston as well. And you're going to tell me that Ben Olsen's going to be the guy to turn Hector Herrera into some sort of midfield machine next year, that they're going to um, all of a sudden go from wherever they finished this year to a top uh, nine team in the Western Conference. It's not going to happen. I'm not sure. Like, the Houston Dynamo is going to Houston Dynamo the same way, like, the L.A. Chargers, well, L.A. Charger. That's sort of the funny thing. That's how it goes now. And um, I just don't see the upside in this. If I'm, I'm, I bet you bringing back Hernan Losada from DCNA would have been a better fit than than Ben Olsen. 
Hugo Perez was the guy that they should have gone for. I'm glad they didn't, me personally, because that means he gets to carry on as, as El Salvador national team coach to hopefully bring the country into the World Cup in 2026. That's my selfish reasoning, and I'm sticking with it. Good luck to Houston. That fan base has been going through a lot ever since they won the Open Cup in 2018. God bless them, man, because they are a loyal fan base. They've been going through the mud uh, in past years. And all I can say is God bless them. May they somehow follow through with what Ben Olsen wants to at least maintain some sort of stability. But I don't have any hopes for them at all. Um, reports coming out also, um, Harvey, that Joseph Martinez has been informed by Atlanta United that he will not be returning. He will not be a part of the plans. Um he is, uh, they are going to have to orchestrate a trade or maybe a transfer outside as he does have a guaranteed contract one year left on his contract for 2023. So maybe an interleague trade, possibly with some big money or assets moving to Atlanta as they continue to try and retool their roster or maybe a non-zero possibility that there's a Liga Max or some other, you know, Harvey, I'm sure there's a bunch of clubs in South America that would jump at a chance to get Joseph Martinez out of this um this feels like an end of an era it also feels like with everything that had happened you know ownership had to make a decision about the direction that they were going in and it made sense for and it made sense to them for them to choose their young up-and-coming head coach who's on a long contract as opposed to their dp striker who's few multiple coaches hasn't been able to get back to the levels that he's at previously and I'm still not sure has completely recovered from his injury to where he's going to be the Joseph that we know him to be previously under Tata Martino. Also, Harvey, this is a decision that has been being made without the technical director for Atlanta United officially being hired. Maybe they've just kept it super quiet. And they already know who that person is, and that person is pulling the strings or involved in the decision-making to where they agree with this decision, they consent to this decision. But I don't understand this, and I think it's pretty clear if this reporting is true, and again, it's from the right people at The Athletic, it's from other people in the Atlanta market that are very tuned in with that market and what's going on behind the scenes and everything, that this is probably true. And if it is, this is an end of the era. The Atlanta United that we will see in 2023 has almost no relationship on field technical identity personnel to what they had in 2017 or what they had when they won MLS Cup and I think it's really really sad because I think Joseph Martinez had a potential to be you know one of the stars in the history of this league and ultimately now I think with his stats in the long run you can't say that and with his longevity or his lack thereof if he does not stay in MLS we can't say that and certainly in Atlanta. For a reason, the rumor has been that Charlotte isn't on him. I'm not sure if that's like credible or the or like a good enough rumor to buy into. But this really is an end of an era. I don't know why, but I can't get, I can't shake the fact that this dismissal reminds me of when Bradley Wright Phillips left my Red Bulls. But that was for that was like I guess a different reason, you know, a bunch of weird stuff behind the scenes and all that. All the scenes that happened between for Joseph Martinez's dismissal happened in front of me, whereas going after Gonzalo Pineda they're in the locker room or face to face. Um or the fact that he, he's not the twenty goal per season scorer or fifteen goal per season scorer. Um he's not that guy anymore. Um I'm surprised that they wouldn't give this one more kick at the can. Um if someone tries to trade it for him, it's gonna be a hefty trade. I'm not sure if they're going to negotiate some sort of like buyout between the two parties. Maybe he goes to either another MLS club or he goes to South America, like you said. 
Like when Luis Suarez went to Nacional in Uruguay and they won the league title there for a few months. Um, I'm not sure how Atlanta, um, I guess, replaces him. Their strike position hasn't been that uh, formidable. And Carlos Bogenegger has more answers uh, to give out to his fan base, a fan base that is slowly withering away given their fading attendance this year, their lack of inspiring soccer, and the fact that they just haven't hit the heights at all from even two years ago to now. They they have arguably the most um, noteworthy offseason to be had of all the teams in the, in the league. And so I need to understand what their plan is because this team did not make the playoffs and fell way short of it. And right now, Gonzalo Pineda, while he's young, is going to be on a bit of a hot seat. This isn't like going from Tata Martino to Frank DeBoer. This is like, it's going to be Gonzalo Pineda trying to figure out how he wants his team to play next year. And if that doesn't work, it depends who his number two is going to be after that, or who comes in, or if Thiago Almada wants to leave for Europe, as he probably should have been. Who knows? Um, That team is in a flux. And... Um, you know, essentially ditching your best ever player, a player who, if there's a ring of honor for Atlanta United, would probably be the first one in. Or then I guess Brad Guzan. But who knows, man? That team needs to. Uh, that team needs to figure out a plan to get into playoff contention for next year and quick. Let's move on, Harvey. Let's do our predictions and then get out of here. We just hit over an hour on the podcast, so uh, both playoff games this weekend, folks. Sunday, October thirty thirtieth. Uh, Halloween Eve will start with the Western Conference Final, Los Angeles Football Club hosting Austin Football Club, 3 p.m. Eastern on ABC at the Bank of California Stadium. Harvey, who you got? What's the scoreline? 90 minutes, 120 minutes, PKs. I've been saying 2-1 next extra time a lot as like my most common guess, but I will go with 2-0 LAFC inside 90 minutes. I think they just shut down the Austin attack. And whether Bale plays or not, I don't think they'll need him per se to win this game. I'm putting it all on Buanga and Orango to carry the day. I think this game's got goals in it. I'll take 3-2 Los Angeles FC in 90 minutes. Then moving on, Harvey, Philadelphia Union hosting New York City Football Club. 8 p.m. Eastern time on FS1 at Subaru Park in Chester, Pennsylvania. Harvey, who you got? This will be the battle. The battle of, what do they call it? There's the Battle of Old Trafford, the Battle of Stamford Bridge, the Battle of Nuremberg, I believe, in the World Cup. <laughs> I'm not sure if they're going to call this the Battle of Subaru Park or whatever, but this will be a battle. I'm going to go, I hate this, I'm going to go Union 1-0 inside the 90. Um, I will think that the injuries, Maxime Chanel is going to be a bigger miss than we probably think because he pulled up lame and had to be subbed off against Montreal last week. I'm not sure he's going to be fit to play this game, but this Philadelphia defense has been tough as nails all season long. And I think that with Andre Blake and goal, you just know for sure that you've got a better than 50% chance of having a shutout. So I will go 1-0 Philly. Battle of Commodore Barry Bridge, maybe, Harvey? Battle of the... battle of the, You can't really say Battle of the Delaware because that's implying that NYCFC is Jersey, which they're obviously not because I don't believe... Pennsylvania. I don't believe the Delaware crosses over between uh, Philadelphia or between Pennsylvania and uh, the state of New York. Certainly not the five boroughs. But in any case, uh, 
I think this is going to be a cagey game, Harvey. I got 1-0 Philly, and I'll say in 120 minutes in this one. Um, all right, um, that does it for us. Harvey, any last words, or shall we get out of here? Well, my last words are this. This season of Major League Soccer has given us plenty to chew on, and the fact that, as I said before, these are the last four standing is a real treat for the league. Um, not for me because of um, my selfishness with my Rebels not being there, but whatever. With that notwithstanding, um, this, the playoff format has delivered once again. They should keep it. They should not mess with it. And look, you've got prime time games at 3 and 8, 8 p.m. with the football. Um, it's all happening. This is uh, the best time of the year, and I cannot wait to see it all. Uh, my last word, similarly, Harvey, is I think ultimately the the results, the MLS script writers, if you will, got it right in terms of the final four teams standing. And I think regardless of who ends up winning, it will be a great story out of this because you've got LAFC winning the double, finally winning an MLS Cup. You've got Austin FC going from worst to first, you know, mirroring what Atlanta did in their first two years in the league. Philadelphia winning an MLS Cup would be their crowning achievement for the Jim Curtin era. And then similarly, NYCFC going back to back and then doing that after losing their head coach and their best player as well. No matter what happens, no matter what the outcome is, unless it's on like some bogus red card or like some like internal cheating max fishing scenario, whatever outcome of the MLS Cup playoffs that remain from these three games, the final story will be a good story and one worth discussing, one worth talking about and covering on this podcast and at lastwordonsoccer.com. Listeners, I want to thank our two sponsors. First, Roughneck Scarves are an official scarf supplier of MLS, MLS, USL, and US Soccer merchandise. Get your custom scarves, net gaiters, or masks for your group, team, or office at roughneckscarves.com. And then, Harvey, are you tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates that you get from the big boys that make the that make the uniforms for World Cups, like the one that looked like the like the My Name Is tag that you have, or maybe a plain white shirt that looks like a training jersey for a certain team that's wearing white and then blue and in a group with England, Iran, and Wales perhaps. So, are you looking for a unique custom kit for your youth team, Sunday League squad, adult, even pro team, possibly a national team, possibly your office? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Their motto is, any design you want, seriously, let them design the next kit of your dreams today at IcarusFC.com. Listeners, Check out all of our content at lastwordonsports.com backslash soccer. Check us out on all the socials at lastwordsc. Rate, review, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just search LWS Radio. You will find us and a lot of other great content. Listeners, we'll see you next week to preview MLS Cup.